0: amy thompson is an award-winning teacher an enthusiastic wife who's been married for over 30 years and an optimistic mother who believes that strength comes from adversity that humor helps almost everything and that no one gets tired of hearing how great they are you guys she's a gem she's hilarious she's filled with compassion because she comes from a place of experience and her confidence in not only herself but her confidence in you and she hasn't even met you yet she will be your biggest cheerleader we are so glad you're here get comfy pull up a chair here's amy thompson (laughs) oh we're already laughing we're already having a good time I am so excited to introduce all the listeners to Amy Thompson she is an absolute triple threat she's a triple threat (laughs) she's got the humor piece down she's got the compassion piece down and she's just someone who is like confident and like owns that and I can see, Amy, through your confidence. You know, you're a big proponent on, like, cheering for other people, but we have to own the confidence within ourselves first before we can cheer for others, and we are going to dive all into that and all (laughs) about you, but I just want to say thank you for being here today.
1: Oh, thanks. This is a club. Who doesn't want to be in this club? Like, this is a great club to be in. (laughs) <laughs> the Michelle Walsh Village Well Club? Yes, I'm in.
0: <laughs> oh my God, girl. So, you know, we met at Weight Watchers, right? Mm-hmm. And you were someone who would come into the meeting room and you had this like, quiet, funny. Like, you would drop stuff right at the right moment in the meeting, and then, like, everyone would be, like, doubled over, and then, like, come back up for air, and then you would just, like, walk out at the end of the meeting, like, with the rest of your time, and I'm just, like, what is that girl about? And so, Before we kind of find out all about you, I kind of was wondering if you would start with telling us a little bit about maybe where you grew up, um, where you come from, and kind of how you arrived at the place where you are right now.
1: Okay. Uh, I grew up in Sunnyvale for a while, and then San Jose, the Almaden area. So I'm definitely a California kid, although my parents are both from the Midwest, from Indiana and Illinois, Chicago area. Uh and so much of that Midwest ethos or whatever was ingrained in my mother that when we went on a tour somewhere and the guide asked, Who's from California who here is a California native? I raised my hand and my mother pulled my hand down and said, You're not, and I went and then she stopped and went, Yeah, you are a California native. <laughs> <laughs> but that wasn't uh you know, she just thought, well, we're from the Midwest. Uh, Mm -hmm. so I grew up around here and went, uh, then I got married really young 21. Now that seems frightfully young, uh, to a guy I went to high school with, I call him now my practice husband, because that sounds nicer than my ex-husband. He's a lovely person, just wasn't a good match for me. And we have two unbelievable children and uh, then I started teaching after I, we divorced and I moved back to this area and with my two kids and uh, then I met the love of my life who was not good-looking on paper because he was 20 late 20s so he's younger than me he was still in college uh dyslexic so reading was crazy hard for him and uh lo and behold i find i got myself pregnant mm-hmm. not married and thinking holy fuck what am i going to do and realized even though i'm very pro choice that i was going to have this baby and when i told my mother she was very supportive cuz my parents are divorced and when I told my father, his response was, well, you know, you're not Goldie Hawn. You should, <laughs> you cannot have a kid out of wedlock. This is not going to work. The whole Midwestern thing coming back. Uh, oh and gosh. I said, I'm, I'm pretty aware that I'm not Goldie Hawn, <laughs> being that I've been living as a single mom and first year teacher. <laughs> so it was pretty crazy. And. Finally, all my friends kept saying, you have to tell the father, you have to tell the father. And I was just waiting for the worst possible, you know, get kicked to the curb response. And I finally called, got the courage and called and said, hey, I just want you to know I'm pregnant. And without uh, skipping a beat, he said, it's your body. I'm going to support any decision you make. But if I, if you want to know what I want, I want to be with you and I want to help you raise this baby. And then I was like, oh shit, now I got to work in how to work him in, you know, like I had Oh my god! figured Amy. it all out. So then it was, you know, he says, okay, I can quit school and I can move down with you. And I'm like, uh, no, that doesn't sound right. So, uh, I took a leave of absence and moved up to Chico where he was a student with one of my kids and my other kid, my son went to uh, live with his dad in Monterey Mm -hmm. and we had a kid that was 30 plus years ago. And it had to have looked like my father was on, you know, like this, you're going to, you're going to live here and you guys still aren't getting married. And that was a while ago. And then for Valentine's day, the first year we were together, my uh, now husband asked my daughter, what should I get your mom for Valentine's day? And she was 12 and not on board with the whole thing. And she just was disgusted and said, ask her to marry you. She's in love with you. she <laughs>
2: Oh, and he did
1: oh and i gosh. my first thing was no i don't want to get married i've been married it's not good and he said don't you think it would be different with me and i went honestly i don't i you know i don't mm-hmm. think it would be different and he said well let's try it and that was 30 plus years ago and honestly one of the hardest decisions i've ever made and the best decision i've ever made so that was Fantastic. So then we uh, took a year off. I started teaching. We moved to Davis. So that poor man, the the year he turned 30, he graduated from college, had his first child, became a step-parent, got his first job out of college, bought a house. Like every stressor you can name, Dude, those are like the
0: top, those are like the top stressors, like to push you over the edge. He's all, no, I'll take five of those. Give me five. Sign
1: me up, sign me up for all of these I'm in. And I thought, holy crap, if he can do this, like (laughs) he is definitely a keeper. So yeah, and it just, it's gotten better and better and better. Who who knew? Like, I I didn't know that was even a possibility, having not good role parents role model parents for how to have a good relationship I didn't plus you never know what anyone's marriage is like and you know you know I really
0: I really like the part about when you were saying you know here's where I landed that was like my practice husband then I meet this for lack of a better description, cute little hottie, younger guy, you know. Oh, that's
1: absolutely a good description.
0: You were talking talking about that. I'm all, yeah, you need to tap that. Like, and you did. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, you know, with a little life's experience, you end up pregnant and you say to yourself, ah, work in the road, you know, you call him, you let him know. And you were ready to like move forward on your path with your two that you already had, plus you're growing this new life. And he's like, Hey, but I want to be part of it. And you were like, Whoa, it sounds to me like (laughs) you were already kind of resigned to move forward, like independently. And then he said, Hey, I want to be with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was because I didn't. Well, first of all, I've I'm not one of those people who had the luck of being pregnant and, you know, looking glowing and your nails and hair have never looked better. I was one where I was puking in restaurants, not getting to the toilet in time. And (laughs) busboys would stop me and say, just tell me, was it the spaghetti? And I was like, God, no, please don't talk to me about food. You know, just heaving for (laughs) like seven months. So so having Um... this serious conversation you know it's like let me wait till i'm feeling better let me wait till i know what i want to do before i bring anyone else in this and yeah i, I guess yeah i just didn't see another way of doing it i didn't it, it didn't feel to me at that time in our relationship like we were enough of a team that this was going to be our decision i just wanted this was going to be my decision and you know, I because I was fully ready for him to just go, oh, no, I'm not signing up for that.
0: <laughs> right. And how old is that baby who's now grown? <laughs> how old
1: is that, that
0: baby? He is
1: going to be 32 <laughs> in September. And when he was 15, because his birthday is in August and we got married in, or we got married in August, his birthday's in September. So he was almost a year old when we got married. Yeah. And one... One year, he was 15 or 16, and I asked Dave, how many years have we been married now? And he said, well, Rob's 16, so we've been married 15 years. And Rob went, wait, wait a minute, wait. That means that I'm a bastard and I said oh. oh
2: yeah holy
1: and he goes does that mean I'm not wanted and I said no that means you're not planned it did not mean you're not wanted he just got straight up
0: educated in the kitchen like before school you're like we love you honey you were just the best surprise ever
1: well now he'll just say if it wasn't for me you guys would not be together and, I, oh. and I'll say you're absolutely right and he goes You're welcome.
0: (laughs) Right? Those last kids, man, they know how to, like, kind of. It's funny you say this story because, like, I'm thinking about when I got pregnant with Charlotte, you know, she's the, she was a surprise. You know, I was so over, like, being on birth control. I was so over. We already had four kids in five years. Oh, Um, God. I know who does that. And, and so we get, you know, we get pregnant, Amy, and literally I remember peeing on the stick and going, and it comes up immediately positive. And I'm like, well, now I have to be the designated driver to the Black Eyed Peace concert. This fucking sucks. You know, that was my first thought. Like, you're bringing new lives into the world. They're like, oh, how are you going to do this? <laughs> and I literally come out of the bathroom. I walk down the hallway. I sit down to fold laundry. I'm wrapping my head around it. Tom puts the girls down for bed. I'm folding his underwear. And I'm like, hey, babe, I got something to share with you, you know? And he's like, what is it? And I'm like, we're pregnant. And he just, it was kind of so matter of fact, you know? Yeah. And so, but we're so lucky to have these last babies, aren't we?
1: Oh, absolutely. The, you know, I had my oldest when I was 22. So, you know, looking back at the time, I thought, yeah, of course, that's what you do. But I remember feeling like there's never going to be a day in my life where I'm not changing diapers. Like this is just unending. And by the time the third came around, like, yeah, I'll change a diaper. That goes so fast. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I'll wake up tomorrow. This will be over. Or as I used to say, if he's not potty trained by the time he leaves her kindergarten, I'm going to let his wife do it. I'm not going to worry about it. <laughs> The leash gets
0: longer and longer. It's like, instead of the standards, the standards get lower, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, (laughs) for sure. But you had the, I mean, that's a, a sign of our age difference. There were no pregnancy tests when I got pregnant. You just were sick as a dog and tried to figure out why. Or in my case, and I was teaching. I was in my second year of teaching, and there was a newlywed, and she was pregnant, and we were all, you know, clucking around her. And I said, "How are you feeling?" And she goes, "Well, I kind of feel nauseous in the morning, but usually by eleven I feel better." And I just thought, "Oh my God, I'm the same." way and i went to my single friend and said i live in a really small town can you get a pregnancy test <laughs> cuz oh i can't do that where i live
0: oh my gosh oh my- yeah i'm curious to know a little bit like cuz i'm a former educator too and about your, you know, you're an award-winning teacher and I (laughs) want to know uh, what does that mean, Amy, that you're an award-winning teacher? Like what, what did you teach? Were you K-6? Were you middle school or high school? And kind of what did you learn about your teaching experience? Like what kind of qualities and traits have you honed in on that you're like, yeah, those are gifts that I have that I used in the classroom with the kids?
1: Um, when, I mean the classic standard, my standard answer when people says, what did you teach is students? Cause <laughs> really that's, that's all it's about for me is the subject matter is not as important as the kids themselves. And I was, uh, I went to school in New York and I was trained as an early childhood specialist educator, which is kind of a New York thing. And when I divorced and came back, It was the mid 80s and my father said, "Uh, if you want to get a teaching job here, you are going, you know, this is how you're going to support you and your kids. You need to be bilingual. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, white as can be. uh, And I said, okay. And we were living with him in Aptos and my stepmom. And so I went to Cabrillo for a semester and they had a program called intensive Spanish. And it was Spanish one, two, three, and four in a semester.
0: Holy shit, dude.
1: <laughs> yeah. So you went to school for four hours and then you had lunch and then you do your language labs and all that other stuff. And at the end of every month you had a final. And if you did well enough on the final, you could continue the next Monday when you started Spanish too. So it was intense, no joke. Uh, and I would listen to headphones, you know, have my Walkman and have the stuff. And she had, the instructor was phenomenal. Uh, And she had a tape we could listen to with like specific grammatical things and questions and answers. So I'm trying to commit that to memory. And I did, I was a good student enough. Uh, Learning, I don't think comes really easy to me. And I think that's part of what makes me a good teacher. I think often, Yeah, people who go into education are brilliant at whatever subject they want to teach and so the whole uh, discipline angle and class management is hard for them because they can't relate to why someone would not want to be in their classroom Uh, I kind of just went to meet boys and you know that was why I was in school figure out who I was going to the next dance with Uh, so you know, everything else was just gravy. So, I really studied, because I didn't want to live with my father at 30 years old, and memorized all these things so that when I finally got a job interview in Soledad, uh, they interviewed me in Spanish because they needed a bilingual second grade teacher. That, you know, I'm all about being a second grade teacher. So, He'd asked me a question, which was one of the grammatical things I had memorized. And so it was like, tell me about your childhood. So I'm just spewing this memorized stuff out, which was not my childhood at all, but my teachers. And he's asking follow-up questions, which were still on my thing. And I'm just like, oh. and he's like, yeah, her Spanish is good. and I'm like well at least I'll be able to keep up with second grade Spanish so I kept taking Spanish classes because I you know I like the idea that people are going to be bilingual and inclusive and I never passed all the tests to be officially bilingual but so I taught second and third grade where I had a bilingual classroom and I had a couple of kids who only spoke english a couple of kids who only spoke spanish and then a ton of kids who had a mixture uh we kind of muddled through together and by the second year i would teach a day in english a day in spanish i'd alternate days because i heard that was the way forward and it was really effective for these kids but man did the white kids they couldn't handle it. Like they were just like, I don't understand anything. And right, you know, I'm like right. neither do they. Tomorrow, right, <laughs> Miguel won't know either. So yeah, the just great hang equalizer,
0: on. right? The great yeah. equalizer. And for people who who are not familiar with teaching. Okay. The, the, the best way I can equate your first year teaching is baptism by fire. Okay. So oh, absolutely. You, okay. I came home every day and I cried. So you are being baptized in fire. It's your first year teaching. And you're like, Oh, just to keep it, you know, kind of fun. Let's go yeah. ahead and do that in a bilingual way. And so, Oh my word. And so did you stay in second grade for a, a long time? Or no. did you, where did you go from there?
1: I did second grade, and then I did third grade, or maybe it was third and then second, one or the other, and all my English readers went to another classroom, and I got all the Spanish readers at that grade level, Uh, and then I got pregnant with my youngest, so then I took a year off, and I still thought I was all that in a bag of chips for early childhood and figured I'd have two years of bilingual, italicized in my own. Uh, and thought, well, this is gonna be great. I'll I'll be able to get a job anywhere, and got a job in Esparto, which is a tiny town on the way to Mendocino, and they had a K-8 school, and there were seven people that interviewed me. It was probably one of the best interviews I'd ever been in, and they said, uh, we have a first grade and a sixth grade opening, would you be interested in either one? And I said, no. And they said, "Uh, excuse me, this is the very beginning of the interview. And I said, I'm gonna need to let you know at the end of the interview. And they said, why? And I said, well, I think I could teach first grade anywhere. I'm, you know, good and I've got experience. But I said, the idea of teaching middle school is pretty intimidating and I would need to know I have a lot of support. And I won't know that until the end of this interview if I would feel comfortable taking this job. Girl, and I thought, in my head. Caps, you're like, oh, I'm
0: interviewing you now because I'm not walking into the situation if you're not going to support me. I love that.
1: Oh, absolutely. Everywhere I went, I would interview people. And, you know, at the end of an interview, or at least I should speak from my own experience, especially in education, they always say, Do you have any questions for us? And my standard answer was always absolutely i do uh <laughs> tell me the best because uh, i wanted them to sell me so i was like what's the best thing about your school yes and girl i've had people say uh that's a good question and not be able to answer and this was Aww. the principal and i'm like Red uh, flag, yeah yeah, if you don't know what the best thing about your school is, I can't work there. And I had people say, well, the parents, but that can be a double-edged sword because they're very involved. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> if you're saying that in an interview, that's like, hello, this is you're going to have parents breathing down your neck. So This
0: is so insightful though, Amy, because I think a lot of times, and I don't know if this is just for women, we feel like Am I good enough? Do you like me now? How did, I yeah. hope I nailed the interview. And we don't feel like we have the power or the position to flip it and be like, yeah. no, I'm going to ask you about you. Because it's not a question. And this is something I tried to impart to my daughters when they're applying for college. I yeah. said, colleges are a business. It's not about, are you good enough to get into their college? Is, is that college worthy of having... You know what I mean? Is that college worthy? Are you... Are they good enough for you
1: and it's not i don't even think of it as worthy but teaching is a tough job college is a tough job Mm -hmm. so it's not is are they going to be good enough for me is is this going to be a good fit for me Mm
2: -hmm.
1: is this where i'm going to be comfortable because you're not no one is no one can do their best work unless they feel safe, unless they feel like I can take a chance here. And that's what learning is all about. And that's what teaching is all about. That's what parenting is all about growing up. If you can't, if your kid doesn't feel safe in the nest that you've created for them, Mm -hmm. how do they they break out of that? How do they get brave enough to take that First baby bird step off the nest to try they're like oh right. so that's kind of my thing in teaching anyway long story longer the uh I I thought well they're gonna totally forget about sixth grade because I'm gonna nail this first grade you know this is my this is all of my experience and all my education I'm an early childhood specialist of course they want me so at the end of the interview, they said, well, would you be interested in the sixth grade position? You know, you told us to ask you at the end of it, I I looked around and I really did like them and I went, yeah, I guess, but of course you're going to want me for first grade. (laughs) And then of course they didn't, they called me for sixth grade. And I loved middle school, even though I loved elementary, middle school kids get the jokes.
0: Oh girl, they're so middle, totally what you said. I remember doing oh. student teaching. I did kindergarten and I'm like, and no, thank you. You're adorable. But, and then yeah. I went into like sixth grade or fifth grade and I'm like, oh, you guys can vibe with me. Like you get yeah. it.
1: Yes. Absolutely. And I, when people would say, I, you know, middle school are, the kids are the most passionate. Their day in class is either the best day of their life or the worst day of their life there's <laughs> nothing in between and it can be you know it can be real trauma like you, you know a parent has cancer or something really oh. horrible or it could be oh my my bangs only went three inches today I couldn't get them to four inches it's the worst day of my life
0: girl yeah. but the reaction is the same <laughs> It's yes. like the reaction and the emotion is all real at that age. And it's absolutely. like, absolutely it take someone really, really special to be able to recognize that and sort of help them wade through it and honor the emotion that they're feeling. Right. And teach yes. them. And yes. teach them.
1: Yeah. I learned, I mean, that was the mid eighties and I learned right away. It was a very Hispanic community. And what would, you know, the best compliment you could give a girl was, Oh my gosh, your banks are so high today. <laughs> <laughs> they'd be like, yeah, four inches. <laughs> Got four oh, inches. Girl, I'd be like, oh higher, my gosh. Higher Remarkable. the
0: bangs. <laughs> higher the bangs. you closer you are to Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and so like for you, when you look at this, you know, teaching experience and you look at where you are now, you know, 30 plus years into your marriage and um, your babies are grown, like What for you would you say was a pivotal time in your life where you learned a lesson and you got it kind of like whack-a-mole and it changed
1: you moving forward? Yeah. Uh, A couple. Mm -hmm. Um, My sister, who is seven years younger than me
2: Mm in
1: the 80s, about the time I just got married, was diagnosed with AIDS. Mm -hmm. And it was well before there was any kind of treatment. It was pretty much a death sentence. And her husband died of AIDS earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Rob was really young, so I couldn't be around to help her. She lived in LA, and then she moved up. And so the time I was teaching sixth grade and then later seventh grade up in Esparto, she uh, had moved up with my dad and then my mom. And so every weekend I would go down and take care of her with my mom and my brother and uh, that was brutal Mm -hmm. and you know she was younger she was 31
0: oh my god amy i
1: mean (laughs) yeah you didn't know this so (laughs) welcome welcome to it but you learn (laughs) what's important
0: that that's it right there that's it right there and And that that statement that you just said is so incredibly insightful. And I I don't think we get it until we walk through a situation like what you're describing. It's, thank you for sharing that.
1: Well, it was, in a way for me, similar to the pandemic we're going through now. Because it was early in the AIDS uh, history, I guess. We didn't really know how it was transmitted yeah uh when we moved my sister from my father's aptos to my mother's house in los gatos it upset her stomach and she would be spitting up
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: so we would re-glove you know we wore gloves all the time when we took care of her because we knew this was super uh transmittable we just didn't know how so mm-hmm. i remember go at that day that she got transferred, I went through probably a hundred gloves. It was most of a box, Mm. just taking care of her and getting her back on. And we got so, I got so fixated in caring for her uh, that at Christmas time, when she was still at my father's house, because my older, my two older kids and Rob were the only, kids she had been around and mm-hmm. she adored them Of course. Uh, and she said I want to come downstairs she was up in one of the bedrooms I want to come downstairs and be with the kids it's Christmas and I said Cindy you can't come downstairs you'll be too weak to get back upstairs
0: yeah
1: because she was 5'8 beautiful but at this point she was maybe 90 pounds
0: oh my god
1: so uh it was brutal. And she was furious with me and I went downstairs sobbing and said, and Dave said, What's the matter? And I said, Cindy wants to come downstairs. And he just stopped me and said, Honey, this is not about what's how Cindy, you know, what's good for Cindy. We know she's dying. This is about how she can live while she's still alive. So, if she wants to come downstairs oh. we we let her walk downstairs, and if she can't get back upstairs, I will carry her back upstairs oh. and I'm sobbing because that was exactly what I needed to hear, and I'm sobbing because he's such a wonderful man to to just know that like how does someone dyslexic who can be so inappropriate at so many times who knew that piece of <laughs> was going to be so <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. So
2: like, you're right.
1: And she came down and I laid on the couch and I'm going to say within 10 minutes was asleep and lost the feeling in her arm for, you know, maybe a day because she was too mm-hmm. proud to tell me I was right. And she didn't realize, but she loved that 15 minutes and, so that was definitely uh, one of them. And during that time, I was teaching seventh grade. And my first year at Esparto, I taught sixth grade. And then the administration said, Will you teach seventh grade? And it was a very small school. There were only 60 kids at each grade level, roughly. Okay. And so when I went from sixth to seventh grade, it meant I'd have all the same kids. And I adored them. And I said, you know, I hesitated and they said, why are you hesitating? And I said, well, Nelson Hernandez is going to hate this because I would make him read and make him write. <laughs> and I said, and I kind of hate to do that to him two years in a row. Poor Nelson. I said, Nel- yeah, Nelson, who he and I are on Facebook together, we're friends. So he got over it. But that was kind of my, oh, I don't know if I can do this to him. <laughs> so this was, it was, you know, one of those early groups that I would leave every Friday afternoon, I would yeah. put a movie on for my class in the, you know, it was a reward for having done everything, but really I was doing all my planning. And then I would drive down on the weekend. And so the kids knew what was going on and my, you know, all my, all the rest of the staff knew what was going on. And one day in early March, the principal came in and said, you need to go. We just got a call. You need to go. And uh, I was like, okay, well, I've got to make sure this is set up for the class. And they just said, no, you need to go. You got to go, girl. Mm -hmm. And I drove and it was, you know, two hours and she was still alive. And Mm. they said, uh, you know, we think she was waiting for you. And, you know, by then she was on morphine. She was you know, not conscious in any way. And it was just brutal, but I've had, I'm going to say the gift of being with my grandfather when he died and being with my sister when she died and being with my aunt when they died. And it is, it really is a gift, Um, but it's, it's heavy
0: yeah it's heavy to
1: it, to be that mm-hmm. for that transition and you really once you go through anything traumatic like that I feel like you're more compassionate because you realize how little what you know what's really important gets focused on but how these other things that people get tripped up on
2: uh-huh.
1: really aren't important they you know how high your hair is is not well, <laughs> the biggest when you're
0: in seventh grade it's super important. Okay, but it bye. super
1: is. But Here's it's easier thing. to be uh compassionate with those kids because for them that yeah. is the most important thing. For me I realized, okay, honey, you know, this is this is okay. But yeah. So that was obviously probably the biggest thing and choosing to to move in with Dave was a big thing.
0: I just want to circle back to your sister really fast okay. and the beautiful story that you were telling about her, you know, just kind of wanting to come downstairs and, and, yeah. and be with you guys. And I think, you know, I know for me, like I get caught up in, you know, it, it, the big stuff or am I doing it right or whatever. And mm. God damn it. When push comes to shove, Amy, it's exactly what you described. It's the simplicity of wanting to be surrounded by people that we love. It is that simple. Yeah. It is that simple. And so for, for her to be able to be with you guys and it was reciprocal, just that, that it's like this little love, you know, little, little love circle in the living room on Christmas. And then you were talking about like your principal coming in and saying, you have to go now. And you were like, but wait a minute, I have to get my plans together that's part of us that still is trying to care give for like our classroom or our our tribe or whatever. And we need a catalyst to come in and say, no, you need to get in the car right now. Everything is going to be fine for you to be able to be there for your sister when she crossed. And what a beautiful, it's an honor to be with someone when they cross. And I feel like too, we need support after something like that happens because it is heavy yeah. It is heavy, like what you said.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, that was uh, a big changer. And I'm going to tell you every time one of my kids got to close to my sister's age when she died,
2: mm-hmm. I
1: think, oh my gosh, how young she was. Oh my gosh, how young she was. And how my my father's no longer alive but how hard that was for my mother and still is for my mother and i think you know of course it you know it's going to be hard but oh my gosh how how do you come back from that how do you keep going after you've lost your your youngest child oh so anyways then fast forward when rob was 19 uh, was the first day of my summer vacation or the first week of my summer vacation as a teacher. And I this came This is your home. baby. This is your He's baby. He's my baby. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the morning he and a friend had left, they were going down to UC Santa Barbara where they had friends and they were going to check out someone's new apartment. So I went to lunch with friends and we thought, well, let's take a hike. And I came back to get hiking shoes and uh, there's a message on the machine and I thought I was tempted to not listen and thought well I better listen mm. and it's a paramedic saying we just your son was in an accident we took him to San Jose Regional Medical Center uh, he was unconscious please call the social worker there
2: oh and
1: my God! I was absolutely in shock because some part of me thought well I can probably wait on this and take a hike. <laughs> <And> thought <laughs> no, I absolutely can't. I better call my husband <laughs> and said said to my friend, we can't take a hike. I need to get. Can you drop me at the hospital? And Dave will meet me there. And you know, it didn't dawn on me the severity of you know what this could mean. He's in the hospital, so of course he's going to get better. Yeah. Uh, what happened is he was the passenger in the car and the car the driver lost control and he hit his head we think twice against the steering wheel because he had two slashes in his left side of his head and the driver's side was almost completely crushed uh and so he was unconscious at the scene and got medevaced out and was unconscious when he arrived and they put in a tracheotomy and a drainage to his uh head to drain the brain fluid and mm-hmm. just watching him he was a co- in a coma and he stayed in a coma for five weeks and uh i learned it had suffered a traumatic brain injury and i learned <laughs> it was a huge learning curve about what brain injury was what a coma meant what you know all of this stuff i'd never known anyone who'd been in a coma before uh and so we just set up camp and every day we'd go to the hospital we'd bring the laptop we i set up a caring bridge site uh and my world got very very small uh, we just sat with rob in his room and we weren't allowed to touch him we weren't allowed to talk. We needed to give him as little stimulation as possible. They kept the lights out in the room. Uh, and as a, a, I consider myself pretty touchy-feely, and that that's brutal. You know, you can't touch your kid. You can't hug your kid. And they he didn't look natural, and the doctor would come in regularly and take what looked like a really sharp knitting needle and open the eyelid and take this knitting needle and like as if they were going to poke the eye because they wanted to, and I said what are you doing and they yeah. said well people will instinctively re- withdraw from pain so and then he'd poke each finger and each toe with this thing and Rob did not flinch and oh god
0: that, oh that, god. that was Whoa. hard
1: yeah hard to watch. And I remember saying to the nurse, how many patients do you have? Because she was always in the room with us. And she said, one. (laughs) And I thought, shit, this is, this is no joke. Uh, And then they said that first day, well the first day we didn't get to go in, when we sat in the emergency room, waiting room area basically for three hours and they said they brought just took him into surgery and then they said you can walk with him to his room and there were uh five different people walking alongside his bed so one person was pushing the bed one person was guiding it from the front and three other people were carrying those little things that attached to Mm-hmm. tubes. And, and I thought five people that, I mean, he's hooked up to a lot of stuff. And yeah. one of the orderlies then said, he's got a strong cough. And I knew that he was trying to be encouraging to me. And I thought, why the heck is that encouraging a strong cough? And I asked the nurse a couple of days later, why, why would they tell me that? And he said, because one of the they don't want them to have pneumonia. It's easy to have pneumonia. And if they can cough, they can clear their lungs. And I thought, oh, that, that's good. <laughs> but, you know, if, if you're holding on to a strong cough is a good thing. I was like, oh, geez. So then at the end of the day, they said, if he has, you know, does he have brothers and sisters? And I said, yeah. And I said, well, you might want to call them. And my oldest, Becky, was teaching in uh, England at the time. And my son, I think he was in Montana with his dad on a family reunion, so I called both of them. But I was absolutely in shock for, I'm going to say maybe a year, because I kept thinking, okay, I'm good now, and no, I wasn't. And then six months later, I'd think, "Why, why did I think that was good? but it's a natural
0: response amy it's like we can't take it in so we just kind of like i remember my friend telling me when she got like the breast cancer diagnosis she's like and so now i'll be going to mexico because of course i'm gonna leave my family (laughs) (laughs) like we just can't it's like too much to process right? so if for you in your case it's like Step by step, it's like a year down the road. Oh, okay, this is our reality now. But it's like overwhelming. It had to have been overwhelming.
1: Oh my gosh, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. And we were so, you know, we'd either be in the waiting room because only two people at a time could be in the room with Rob. So we would either be in the waiting room or with Rob. And if you were with Rob, you were silent and not you know the whole thing was low stimulation so at lunchtime when we would go to lunch it seemed like freaking six flags you know there was so much stimulation was just like oh my gosh i can't be here like this is overwhelming Um, but (laughs) i remembered the company that dave worked for i laugh but they were so kind and they, you know, everyone, everyone was incredibly supportive. But Dave's company uh, sent, had catered like a platter of meats and cheeses so that we could make our own sandwiches, and we yeah. wouldn't, you know, it was lovely. But we got a call from Whole Foods one morning as we were getting ready to go to the hospital, and they said, uh, "We're calling from the catering department, and we want to know." what uh what time is good to deliver this and i said what are you like i was so overwhelmed like it could not i could not you know pull this off and i said i have no idea what you're talking about this has to be a mistake you can't be calling me leave us alone and my daughter just said i'll take that (laughs) like (laughs) she said okay here's when you're gonna (laughs) we want we want the meat and cheese potter yeah (laughs) <laughs> but I just was like, "This is not us. Like, leave us alone." I I just got so insulated so fast, and thank God we had so many uh, friends and and people people honestly I had never met, but because they were parents of Rob's friends and they knew about it, and they found out about it on Caring Bridge. Like I would write on Caring Bridge. Rob's coming home. He needs a. He's six two, so he needs an extra long bed, and so I need extra long sheets. And we would come home from the hospital, and there would just be sheets sitting on the thing. Or you know, I'm going to need. He can't talk, so we need a baby monitor. Does it? You know, we're. And I'm just writing this, and it's just showing up. Like we're going to bring you a baby monitor, and people put together a, a dinner tree for us. We had so much food that I had to tell, please don't bring food for a week. And they're like, no, no, we want to. I'm like, we don't have room in our freezer. I mean, we just, it was so amazing. I don't think I cooked for a year. It was unbelievable. The support we had was honestly overwhelming. And just so, we came home one day from the hospital and a former student is mowing our lawn.
2: Girl.
0: So let me tell you something right now, okay? Here's the thing. You are so incredibly loved, and that is why all of those people showed up.
1: Uh, and I had no idea.
0: Oh, you've and made that was... such an impact on people, and your family has made an impact on people, and we don't know until we see it play out like this. Yeah,
1: yeah, uh, absolutely. And it's very humbling. Very humbling. And I am not one. I think many women, maybe most women, don't like to ask for help. You like to think you can do everything because that's what women are supposed to do. Um, And I didn't want to ask for help. And one of the women I taught with said, Amy, please let us help. When this father had a stroke, you were the person who said, I'm going to the store and getting them dinner and dropping that off. You're the person who does that. Please let us be the people who do that for you. Absolutely. And that was, a, it was startling to hear, and I really needed to hear it. So that was uh, lovely and saved us. And then, so we've been dealing, that was 11 or 12 years ago now that Rob had his accident. He's still, uh, he's still in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. He can't sit up by himself uh, on his own. He has very stroke-like symptoms. His left side doesn't have a lot of volitional movement, so he can stand like you can pull him onto his feet and someone not me can balance him because he'll kind of collapse into the left Uh, but he can walk if he's balanced his left foot like he's still in therapy to do that Uh, so physically he has tons of deficits still or lacks. It's hard to say out loud because I don't want to believe it, but cognitively he's made huge growth uh, for maybe a year after he began talking. We couldn't hear him. He didn't have enough diaphragm strength and we would have to recline his chair and push on his diaphragm to hear what it was he wanted to say and... Uh, his memory initially was really bad, so we hired uh two care providers to be at the house so that I could teach part half time the first year and then full time and uh he every time they'd walk into the room for a month, he would say, "Who are you mm-hmm. and they and we had a whiteboard at the end of his bed that said on june twenty third Rob was in a car accident." Uh, we didn't realize for a year that he couldn't read that, but we would read it to him. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we went through the same things over and over again.
0: The learning uh, curve, my friend. It's oh like... my
1: gosh, it was crazy. So yeah, that was brutal. Uh, and But now it's pretty good, like last night when i said to rob so tomorrow i'm going to be interviewed for this podcast and he s- sneers and says why would they want to interview you and i said well <laughs> i guess they think i'm a strong woman and he goes well they'll figure it out i guess <laughs> he's so sarcastic <laughs> uh, them, I, wonder, them, I wonder where he gets that from i have no idea from his father <laughs> i'm sure <laughs> um, but hmm. we a couple of we were involved For a long time in a support group for brain injuries uh, which really helped and there was the guy who ran our brain injury support group nominated us for a caregiver award (laughs) which they had out of valley valley med for this brain injury conference and so we were given this award and uh so we told rob well we're going to get this award for caregiving. And he goes, you're getting an award for taking care of your son? That's ridiculous. <laughs> and I said, well, it's a little bit harder. You're not as easy as you look. And he goes, it doesn't matter. I'm your kid. Of course you would take care of me. <laughs> oh
0: my God. So apparently the humor is intact <laughs> oh, and, yeah. ready, and ready to drop. I mean, you gave so much with that experience. And I mean, what I heard you say, my takeaway from what you just described is ask for help. As women, we think we have to hold it all together, mm-hmm. be open to receive like palms up open to receive the help because people want to bless us in that way. But we, we mm-hmm. have to be open to receive it. Mm-hmm. And then you also mentioned how you were like, Involved in a support group because only other people who've been through something like a traumatic brain injury, right. Or have mm-hmm. a child or someone they love with a traumatic brain injury could understand what that's like. So it's like, you have found this tribe village of people to support you in this leg of the journey
1: with your son. Yeah, for sure. That's yeah. And I think you for me too, it was just get out of bed in the morning. You know, I feel like a lot, it's a little bit like Alcoholics Anonymous. It's just one day at a time. Just, and there were a lot of times, especially when Rob was still in the hospital, that I did not think I, can get, I can't get through a whole day today. And so I would make it even smaller. I'd say, okay, we're meeting the doctor at 10. I just need to make it until 10. Then I can fall apart. Then everything, you know, I don't have to worry. And I get to 10 and they'd say, okay, can you talk to the social worker at one? Okay, now I just have to make it to one. And that was kind of like small steps, just such small steps. And that was all we would do. That's all you
0: would do. And so like, I love that because sometimes it can feel really overwhelming and you're like, okay, Amy, feet on the floor in the bed, just get out of bed, like make it to the appointment. And like, I guess my question to you would be, cause you've been to hell and back. It's like, if someone is super struggling right now, or they're just feeling kind of low, maybe it's the pandemic. Maybe they're worried yeah. about someone that they love, that they're caring for. And you can relate to that. Like, what would you say to them in these times right now? that are so weird, that would, that would inspire hope? Like, what would you say to someone who's struggling?
1: Oh my gosh. Um, I kind of feel like I'm struggling.
2: So Mm -hmm. that's a really
1: tough thing because, you know, I've lived, I've gone through my sister, I've gone through Rob and I thought, oh, pandemic, you know, I'm as tough as they come. This pandemic is not going to hit me. And so when it did, I'm like, holy cow. And I think with Cindy and with Rob, there was something to do. I guess that's kind of the key. Mm -hmm. You need something to do, a reason to get up. So I've kind of in the pandemic thought, this is really not a pandemic. This is a knitting retreat for me. So (laughs) I'm going to have Time to knit, you know, where, because I think
2: once we're all
1: done with this, once we're all done with the pandemic and things are back to normal or whatever the new normal is, I may regret or I may miss having all this time at home. Yeah. And I was never one who thought, oh, I'm going to clean out the attic. I'm like, Screw that! I'm not cleaning up the attic, but I am gonna start eating and drinking more. This is—I <laughs> may never see humans again. Like, <laughs> yes, please! I'll have another gin and tonic. Oh, oh my god!
0: Okay, so the perspective shift, and I want to say thank you for being so honest with you. Like, I don't have any words right now. Like, I yeah. myself am struggling because that's the most that—that's a sign of courage when we can be vulnerable enough to say, Hey, I'm not going to spew some sunshine up your ass right now. Here's where I'm yeah. gonna at. That just makes me love you more. <laughs> well, and the fact that we can eat and drink together.
1: Yeah. I mean, I could, you know, with Cindy and with Rob, both, I kept waiting for a phone call. So I thought I really can't drink. I need to be yeah. ready to go at a moment's notice. <laughs> I, am not having any alcohol because right. I need to be at the hospital for something. Yeah. Bam. I'm going to do it. That's right. So, yeah, I think if you can figure out a reason to get out of bed in the morning, that's it, and if you can't don't i mean the yeah. only the only thing that really concerns one of the things that really concerns me is when you get into that depression spiral that That is scary. And I know all the stuff you're supposed to do, you're supposed to exercise, you're supposed to be taking care of yourself and doing for others and service to others and all of that's going to help. But man, sometimes you just can't do it. So if you can read, if you can do music, but you know, I haven't been, for me, it's knitting. I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, I'm going to get (laughs) it. I'm going to have another sweater.
0: (laughs) That's, girl, you're going to have so many sweaters and blankets. And thank you for hitting on the depression and mental health because I think a lot of people are being affected by that right now. Oh, yes. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to be honest about where you are and to seek. I mean, Amy, quite honestly, like we had all of our you know, professionals, our mental health professionals for our own family, because we were dealing with so many shit storms within our own family in place pre-pandemic. And I can look back now and be like, Thank the Lord that yeah. we had that support. Because I am not a trained counselor, you know? Yeah. I'm just like a mom and a wife, you know, and we need that outside support to help us through the times that are very difficult.
1: Yeah. And the thing that I know uh, in dealing with the stuff I've dealt with in my life is you're doing stuff to support other people like any mom is. And then when you layer on top of that, the pandemic, it's how do you still take care of other people and take care of yourself? And everyone always says, put on your own mask first, but I'm, I'm in the club where, I'm enough of a pleaser that I want everyone else to have their mask on. And I'm going to make, you know, like, oh yeah, I got my mask right in my hand, but you do yours, 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 yours. And then I'll do mine. Um, And it was in super stressful conversations and super stressful situations that I realized I need to take time for me. I need to take time for me. And that, that's not easy. It's, it's not. I've. Mm -hmm. forced myself, I I know this sounds so bizarre, but I forced myself to sign up for dance lessons so that I wouldn't go home right away, so that I would have an hour to myself. I forced myself to do Pilates, so I'd have an hour to myself. So it was something physical, it was good, but man, that's the first things that I want to give up on.
0: Right. Oh girl, it's a mental rally. I mean, but we know, we know as soon as we do it, we're going to be better for it. And so you are a shining example of someone who has walked through the fire and come out the other side. And you're being honest about what that process was like. And you're just someone, whenever we're together, not only do you make me laugh, but you, you just exude this confidence. Like you know, Hey girl, don't worry. Like it's going to be all right. And that, again, that comes from experience, Amy. And so yeah, you are a role model for me and for anyone who is lucky enough to cross your path.
1: <laughs> That's secret code for I'm older than most people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, you're not. You're oh, a yes, gem. You're a gem. Okay, listen, I have like three silly questions to ask you really fast. Are you okay with that? Sweet, yes, purple.
1: Oh, sorry, I thought (laughs) I was anticipating the question.
0: (laughs) So the first question is this, what is your favorite guilty pleasure?
1: Holy cow. Drinking, uh, dancing as if I'm drunk. You know, like I've been at conferences, teaching conferences, where the band will call me on stage and I'll be dancing and they'll let me wear one of their boas. And then they'll say, hey, can I have a sip of your drink? And Pre-pandemic, obviously. And I said, sure. And they were horrified when it was water. And they said, you're sober? I was like, absolutely. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yes, I am. (laughs) You know, that dance where you can do it and you you wouldn't do it in front of your kids because they'd be mortified. Yeah, totally. it's very freeing. Oh, I love it. <laughs> oh,
0: thank you for that. Okay. Um, what would you say a perfect hour for you with no responsibility? How would you spend it?
1: Uh nowadays I'd probably be at the beach or near the beach because I'm a little bit anxious about being around people yeah. and probably knitting. It's just it's just zenning me out because I have to I'm not that good yet that I have to be thinking about it and it, you have to be in the moment and that I have really learned that with my sister and with my son, that you need to be in the moment. It helps you appreciate what you have and it helps you focus on what you need to focus on. So that's good. Wait, I know, I know we're not, we're just audible, but check this guy out.
0: Um, Okay, you're holding up uh, a bunny with an knitted. adorable dress on that you knit. Are you kidding me? That is I the am cutest not thing kidding you. I've ever... <laughs> She's holding up the dress with. to show me the bunny tail. Is that not
1: the cutest thing? Come on. Who doesn't want to be doing this during a pandemic? Come I'm making on, a I brother and sister.
2: All right, just like this? <laughs>
1: yes. Purple and w- purple white polka dots? coming Oh at you. my
0: God, that is adorable. <laughs> Thank you for sharing it. My order is in.
1: I'll see how I can make an elephant. I'll see if I can make you an oh, elephant. I know that's ooh, bigger.
0: That's my favorite. Yeah.
1: I love the elephant. Yeah, I know. I see it okay. behind you.
0: You see it. And so um, my last question is this. What does being part of a village mean to you?
1: Support. You don't do it yourself. Uh, You can be of service to other people. You have everyone, you recognize other people's strengths. And, you know, I think that's one of the best things about a good marriage is you, everyone has their own strengths and you can depend on them. My husband can't spell anything. uh, And I have the worst sense of direction ever. So before there was on Star, I would call him and say, I need you to tell me where I am. And he would tell me, and I don't feel like I need to do anything but Google Maps because I have a husband who will do it and it's not in my wheelhouse. So you can kind of hone your own skills and rely on other people. That's beautiful.
0: You're so smart. <laughs>
1: When you say smart, I hear old.
0: (laughs) No, girl, it's just, it's wisdom from experience, you know, and you have brought that to us today and the compassion of um, walking through those difficult times. And like you were saying, you know, having compassion for others because it lines your stuff right up when you walk through, when we walk through difficult times, it just lines us right up and it really gives Mm -hmm. us a different perspective. And, and I am honored and blessed that you are not only someone I know and who's crossed into my path, but someone I can call a friend and someone I can call a mentor. And so thank you for coming today, being here with us. Back at
1: you. It was really, uh, I'm really flattered to be in the club. Thanks.
0: Girl, you're the fucking president.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait, I don't know if I want that job.
0: (laughs) All righty, Amy, <laughs> I'll talk to you soon. Love okay. you. Okay, love you too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. If you loved Amy Thompson as much as I do, you can come and check her out at the Self-Love Project in the Fall. She'll be dishing her truth and her story. Check her out at www.myvillagewell.com. Be well, take good care, we're counting on you, the world needs your light.